begin the sermon thinking of standing on the promises of God right now. By the way, you know, I am trying to monitor everybody's comments. Um, if you're on Facebook watching the message, I can see your comments and see who's watching. If you're on uh, the website watching, I cannot see comments, but I see each people commenting with one another, which is just great. You know, it's trying our best to replace the fellowship, which is lacking right now, I know. It's not the same. And I'm going to highlight a few of the comments. I see Lisa Fink said, I, I hear you singing, Phil. And then Amy, Amy Gennetti says, I hear him too. And Lisa says he should be in the choir. You know, so Lisa's trying to make jokes still. At least I think you are, Lisa. Anyways, and so it's great, you know, to do that. I've seen some other churches actually that have asked people to text in or actually not text in, put on Facebook a picture of your family gathered to watch and participate in the worship service. So maybe some of the families or couples or individuals would like to do that. And some families are actually choosing, even though it's at home and you can sit in your pajamas, they, they still want to be intentional and dress up a little bit and, and get a family picture as they're getting ready to, to, to go to worship in their living room or in front of their computer or whatever it might be. You know, it's a time right now uh, for dads and moms and grandparents to say, um, we still are going to honor family worship. You know, worship in community is critical and so important. But living as Christians and in worship begins in the home. And we need to start that in the home all the time, all the time. You know, we're called to be spiritual leaders in the home. You know, I try to read through the Bible every year, and I've been successful with that for the last uh 10 or 12 years or something. Um, sometimes I listen to it, and I always encourage people, listen to the Bible is fine as well. And I, a number of years ago, I was convicted. Every time, I talk, it, every time the Old Testament talks about teaching your children, I would underline and mark in my margin, teaching the children. Many times throughout Deuteronomy, especially you think of Deuteronomy 6, uh, talking about the law with your children. I think that's repeated again in like Deuteronomy 10 and again later on, Deuteronomy 17 or 18. You know, all throughout the Old Testament it says, when your children ask you certain things, when they ask you, tell them this is how the Lord led you out of Egypt with a strong and mighty hand. It's all about teaching children. So right now... Parents and grandparents could do it too. You know, remember to teach your children and to model spiritual disciplines with your children. It is so critical, even during this time. So I wanted to share that as I began. I also want to give a few thanks. Um, I, I don't know how well the Internet's working for you that are watching, but right now the computer that we're putting this on and putting it on, uh, streaming it to Facebook through, is directly connected to the Internet. It's not Wi-Fi anymore. However, Ken Minio was here for hours upon hours upon hours last week, Monday and Wednesday, trying to increase our Internet speed. And I really appreciate Ken. He was able to get a new a new router set up in, in, in the office as well as downstairs, even in, the, even in the children's area. We have increased Wi-Fi now. So once we start running, kinder church and junior church and VBS, if they need the internet to run videos and stuff from, and the youth ministry, when they need internet, it's down there working. So I really appreciate Kim Minio's work. Uh, Tony and Nancy Gura donated the camera that we're using right now. So thank you, Tony and Nancy, um, for getting that set up and 
I think that's all the thanks I wanted to give right now. Of course, I'm, continual thank, I'm continually thankful for Steve Varga and Carl coming in and leading worship right now as well. You know, I wanted to share this, this poem that Ravi Zacharias shared, and I heard it a couple weeks ago. I shared it at... Um, where is it? There it is. I shared it at a, one of my midweek Bible studies because I continue to lead these midweek Bible studies as well. And this poem, uh, Rabbi Zacharias read, and he writes, he said one of his colleagues from, an, from their Australian office reminded him of this poem. This poem is by Annie Johnson Flint, and he's quoted it often. And this is the poem. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And I love that poem. I had heard Ravi uh, quote it before, and I, when he, when he, I just saw an alert on my account. I put that, this is funny, just me. When I hear good things like that, I'll put it as a repeating everyday thing on my calendar. I can do that electronically. And I saw it this morning, and I thought, I'm going to read that as I begin the sermon. So we're going to, be go to, we're going to go into uh, James chapter 1 here in just a moment. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. So if you have your Bibles out, I encourage you to turn there. James 1, 19 through 27. I changed the sermon series to James a number of weeks ago because, you know, James later on will write about suffering and trials and the, the struggles that we face. Uh, James talks about faith and works, about asking God for wisdom and just so much more. I thought it was good for a time like this. So James 1, 19 through 27, we will read that here in just a moment. Let me ask you a few questions, though, as we begin right now. What do you think of someone who teaches one thing but then does something entirely different. We might call them a hypocrite, wouldn't we? We may lose respect for them. What, what does the world think of someone who claims to be Christians, yet their lives are filthy? What would you think? Imagine with me for a moment that you are a non-Christian. Imagine with me for a moment that you are not a follower of Jesus, not a Christian. Maybe you have gone to church a few times in your whole entire life, yet you have, you have Christian friends or alleged Christian friends, and you observe these friends. They don't seem to care about the orphan. They don't care about the homeless. They don't care about the poor. They talk pretty poorly about all your coworkers, or at least when their backs are turned, they talk behind their backs. They talk badly about their spouse. These Christian friends get angered pretty easily. And when they get angry, watch out. What would you think? What would you think of Christianity? If you are a non-Christian and you have alleged Christian friends who are act that way, contrary to the teachings of the Bible, contrary to the teachings of Jesus, what would you think? Would you want to become a Christian? Probably not. Would you want anything to do with Christianity? Probably not. I think it's Rabbi Zacharias who quoted Gandhi. And Gandhi kept a New Testament with him. And Gandhi said something to the effect of, 
I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are not like your Christ. We are so often misrepresented by our own testimonies. We so often misrepresent Jesus by our own testimony. Over the next few minutes, we are going to look at James 1, 19 through 27. And I intend to show that James challenges his listeners that true Christianity means letting Scripture soak deep within you and a Christ-like lifestyle flow out of you. Let Scripture soak deep within you and take deep root and let a Christ-like lifestyle flow out of you. True Christianity is twofold. Inward and outward. Inward and outward. We listen to the scriptures and we let them take root within us and then we live out the scriptures. And we will all make mistakes. We will all make mistakes. And I think repentance goes a long way. I strongly believe. We tell our coworkers, our friends, our, our family members, if we blow up and we get angry and we say hurtful things, we need to own up to it. Say, I'm sorry. Your dad, I make mistakes too. I'm, you know, I'm your boss, I make mistakes too. Apologize, ask for forgiveness. Let's read James 1, 19 through 27. James 1, 19 through 27. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who, le- who, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away... He has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. I'm going to pause right there. What an illustration. I mean, imagine looking at yourself in the mirror and then walking away and forgetting what you look like. We have mirrors all over the place now, right? We can't even imagine that. Back then, their mirrors were not that good, and they were a little less common. But James gives a a vivid illustration. When we look at the scriptures, it's like looking in a mirror. Verse 25, but what who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Look at the law. He's talking about the scriptures, the law of liberty, and you abide by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious... And yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. What what an image right there. Keep oneself unstained by the world. I don't have that in my sermon notes, but it just hit me, and so I want to say it. We as Christians need to remember, do not be stained by the world. And what an image. Think of a stain. How easy it is to get a stain on something, and how hard it is, how difficult to get that stain out, right? A number of years ago, I was officiating at a wedding wedding of a, a Mount Union coach, a very godly man and very godly fiancé. And they were getting married at the old Cleveland courthouse, and they wanted me to serve communion. 
And I should have got white grape juice, but instead I got the purple grape juice and I'm in front of them and I'm thinking, I'm about to serve communion. I'm thinking, I could make this a wedding. Nobody's going to forget. Thankfully, the grape juice didn't spill. Nothing happened. They took communion. At the same time, they took their vows. But think of a stain, you know, a stain on something white, a stain on, you know, a purple, a collage stain or something. You know, think of the world that way. The world wants to influence us. And we're not to be polluted by the world. We're not to be stained by the world. Later on in James chapter 4, verse 4, James will say, um, Friendship with the world is enmity, enemies with Christ. We're not to be conformed to the world, Romans 12, 1 through 2. Think of that like a stain. And by the way, it's easy to have that happen. Right now, you know, everybody thinks they can put on gloves and they're protecting themselves. And there's been some videos on Facebook and, and maybe even on the news. Somebody puts on gloves and they put paint on different objects, you know, and they touch it and touch their face. You know, they think they can just touch their face because they're wearing gloves. Look, that's not going to help you. Even though you're wearing gloves, everything you touch is still getting on those gloves. And, you know, and the paint will get there. It is the same thing in the world. Everywhere we go, the world is trying to influence us. And the world is trying to influence us in opposition to God, in opposition to Jesus. Actually, certain actors and actresses in Hollywood have even said that. They've said they're trying to change the view of marriage in the world. They're trying to change us. But Jesus calls us not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed. This is Romans 12 by the renewing of our mind, so we can test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, that's a little extra thing I didn't plan on sharing today, but in the passage, I see a main focus in the last few verses. Let's look at verses 21 through 25 again, and I'm going to read them. Um, I think I put the NIV in my notes right here. Uh, Therefore... Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. The word is planted in you and it can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. I see that as the main point right here. Be a doer of the scriptures. Read them. Listen to them. Through most of human history, they were listening to the scriptures because a lot of people are illiterate. You know, that's, if you're not a good reader, listen to the scriptures and obey them. Do them. The main point here concerns the scriptures, the Bible. So take a note of that, and we will come back to it. But first, let's look at verses 19 through 20. Verses 19 through 20 are a specific way to live out the Bible's instructions. Live out the Bible's instructions. Verses 19 through 20. This you know, my beloved brethren. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Isn't that true? The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Be quick to listen. I'm not telling anything, I'm not teaching you anything new. We've all heard it. God gave us two ears and one mouth. I was told that a number of times as a kid. Listening is very important. How many times would arguments be simmered if people could listen to one another? 
Not just listen, but take each other seriously. How many marriages have I seen that could be helped by honest, humble communication? I mean, even in my, I'll be 40 uh, in less than a year, even in my younger years, depending on what 40 is in your scale, even in my younger years, I've seen in my younger pastoral years, serving in full-time ministries, I think this is my 14th year of full-time ministry, how many marriages have I seen and relationships that I've seen Family relationships have I seen that could be helped by honest, humble listening to one another, being slow to speak, being slow to anger. You get angry, things get heated, then you're not listening, right? When you're angry, you're not listening to one another as well. I've talked with many people who have had marriage issues that go back to communication. Not saying I'm perfect, I'm not perfect at this either. I think that listening many times equals humility. I'm not saying everyone who listens is humble. I'm talking about really listening, though. Sometimes we listen because we don't like to talk, but we're not really listening. Maybe we've tuned out. But listening, we we need to listen because we care about the other person. We really do want to care about them. I don't know if you know of, you all do, uh, the show Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers died a few years ago. He was trained as a Presbyterian pastor, I believe, and they made a movie about him. It's called um, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. About Mr. Rogers. And I watched it. Um, Monday, Thursday, I finished it. And the day before, I started it. It's available for rent right now. As I watched that, you know, Tom Hanks does a good job portraying Mr. Rogers. Uh, and, you know, and it's based on a true story of a reporter interviewing Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers was always concerned with the other person. Even in real life, concerned about the other person. Listening, asking questions of the other person. And as I watched that, I thought... That's how I want to be. I want to be gentle like Mr. Rogers. Somebody was sharing a Facebook video a number of uh, months back, maybe six or eight months ago, of Mr. Rogers uh, uh, talking with his children audience. And he talked about a time when he got angry with his grandkids. And he got home and he apologized to them. He called them and said, look, I got angry. I got frustrated with you. That wasn't right. Humble apologies, humble repentance, humbly listening to each other, humbly being patient, being interested in the other person. This Bible text also says to be slow to anger. When we are not listening carefully, it's easy to jump to conclusions and become angry. My grandmother used to tell me, Steve, I don't get mad. Dogs get mad. People get angry. I'll never forget that. Anger puts you in a position to more easily sin. And I believe that is why James says we need to be slow to anger. Slow to anger. See verse 20. When we are angry, we are not becoming righteous as God desires. God desires us to be righteous, to pursue righteousness, to pursue right living. Set apart, living, even a holy, holy living. God wants us to live holy lives. God wants us to be godly. So we need to start praying for that. And start trying. We don't preach about holiness enough, but we ought to. Verse 21 starts to move into the center of this passage. The center is what I would consider the main point. The main point concerns Scripture. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. In the NIV, verse 21 starts with a therefore. When you see a therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. This is an inference. It's an application. James had just written about the righteous life that God desires, and now he will take it a step further. The righteous life that God desires. 
Basically, James says to get rid of stuff that is not right. Get rid of moral filth. Get rid of evil. Now James could have made a nice list of all the bad things, right? James could have made a list. Get rid of this. Get rid of that. Get rid of all that. But you and I would find one thing not on the list and think that's okay. So James just uses a summary word. He just uses a couple nice summary words. Get rid of moral filth. Get rid of evil. Every one of us needs to get rid of a few things in our lives, including myself. What do you need to get rid of? What is the moral filth in your life that you need to get rid of? Is it your thought life? Is it your lust, your pride, your language, things that you look at on the internet? What is the evil in your life? Evilness does not necessarily mean that you're using a Ouija boards and chasing witchcraft. It just means excess badness. What is it you need to get rid of in your life? I want to pause here and pray and give an opportunity to repent and confess to God. Let's pray. Lord, I think right now is a great time for us to pause and confess. Confess where we fail and ask for your help. Lord, we fail you. We sin against you. I pray the Holy Spirit convicts us to repent. Hear our prayer. I'm going to give you about 20 seconds right now, wherever you're at, at home watching, wherever, to talk to the Lord and repent of anything that you need to repent of. Lord God, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember that God calls us to repent to him and repent to those we sin against. When we pray, God forgives. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we must try to move forward. The, James continues. He says, accept the word. How do we accept the word? We accept the word humbly. There's no other way to accept the scriptures except in humility. The scriptures convict us. But we can't be convicted and we have pride. We have to humbly accept the word which is implanted in us. And by the way, I'm sure that James is talking about the Bible. James uh, is talking about the Bible. Later on, James will talk about the law. And, and just by the context, I'm sure he's talking about writings from the Old Testament and the early apostle writings that became our New Testament. James also says to accept the word implanted in you. The word must get rooted within us. When we read the scriptures, we need, we need them to soak deep within us. In verse 22, James goes into the analogy. Don't only listen to the word, but do what it says. Don't be a hypocrite. But do you know the word? Right now, I want to share this amazing illustration about the, the power and importance of the scriptures. Rabbi Zacharias is a Christian apologist and writer. We need to pray for him. He's battling cancer right now. And he shares this story in his book. Uh, I think it's his book, Deliver Us From Evil. He says, During my ministry in Vietnam in 1971, one of my interpreters who traveled with me was Hein Pham, an energetic, devoted young Christian who had worked very closely as a translator with the American military forces, purely as a civilian, with no official or military responsibilities. He just knew English so well that he was able to be of immense help to them in their linguistic struggles. By virtue of that same strength, he also worked with the missionaries. He and I traveled the length of the country and became very close friends before I bade him goodbye when I left Vietnam to return home. We were both very young, and neither of us knew if our paths would cross again. 
Within four years, Vietnam fell, and Heinz's fate was unknown. Seventeen years later, in 1988, I received a surprise telephone call that began with, Brother Ravi. Immediately, I recognized Heinz's voice. He got caught up with, we got caught up with our pleasantries. Then I asked how he managed to get out of Vietnam and come to the United States. I was not prepared for the story I was about to hear. Shortly after Vietnam fell to the communists, Hein was arrested. Accused of aiding and abetting the Americans, he was in and out of prison for several years. During one long jail term, the sole purpose of his jailer was to indoctrinate him against the West, and especially against democratic ideals and the Christian faith. He was cut off from reading anything in English and restricted to communist propaganda in French or Vietnamese. This daily overdose of the writings of Marx and Engels began to take its toll on him. One of the books he was given to read pictured the communist man as a bird in the ironclad cage of capitalism, throwing itself against the bars of capitalist oppression and blooding itself in the process. Yet still, it continued to struggle in the quest for freedom. Hein began to buckle under the onslaught. Maybe, he thought, I have been lied to. Maybe God does not exist. Maybe my whole life has been governed by lies. Maybe the West deceived me. The more he thought, the more he moved toward a decision. Finally, he made up his mind. He determined that when he awakened the next day, he would not pray anymore or ever think of his Christian faith again. Hein, Fom, was going to turn on his Christian faith. But listen to the next day. The next morning, he was assigned to clean the latrines of the prison. It was the most dreaded chore, shunned by everyone. And so with much distress, he began the awful task. As he cleaned out a tin can, overflowing with toilet paper, his eye caught what he thought was English printed on one piece of paper. He hurriedly washed it off and slipped it into his hip pocket, planning to read it at night. Not having seen anything in English for such a long time, he anxiously waited for a free moment. Under his mosquito net, that night, after his roommates had fallen asleep, he pulled out a small flashlight and shining it on the damp piece of paper, he read at the top corner, Romans chapter 8. Literally trembling with shock, he began to read. Remember, this is a day he was going to turn on his faith. This is a day he was not going to be able to pray. He's in prison after the Vietnam War being fed communist propaganda. And on toilet paper, he begins to read Romans chapter 8. And this is what he read. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8:28, Romans 8:31, Romans 8:32, Romans 8:35, Romans 8:37 through 39 on toilet paper. 
Hein wept. He knew his Bible, and he had not seen one for so long. Not only that, he knew there was not a more relevant passage of conviction and strength for one on the verge of surrendering to the threat of evil. He cried out to God, asking for forgiveness, for this was to have been the first in years that he determined not to pray. Evidently, the Lord had other plans. The next day, Hine asked the camp commander if he could clean the latrine again. He continued with this chore on a regular basis because he had discovered that some official in the camp was using a Bible as toilet paper. Each day, Hine picked up a portion of the scripture, cleaned it off, and added it to his nightly devotional reading. In this way, he retrieved a significant portion of the Bible. The scriptures are so very important. Learn them and then obey them. How important is the Bible to us? We've never had it taken away, have we? We have the Bible readily available, and does it matter to us? It mattered so much to this man that without it, he was about to turn on his faith. But the Lord provided it through latrine duty. How much does the word of God matter to us? James gives the example of someone who doesn't follow the scriptures. It's like looking at our face in the mirror and turning away and forgetting what we look like. The scriptures reveal your spiritual state. A mirror tells you to comb your hair and the scriptures tell you to comb your relationships. Do what it says. Verses 26 through 27 are a conclusion to this passage about following the scriptures. And in following the scriptures, you can live a pure and holy life. James says to keep a rein on your tongue. He'll come back to this in chapter 3. Our words matter. Words can be hurtful, right? Then verse 27, James says to look after the lowly. Look after the orphan. Look after the widow. And then don't be polluted by the world. So how are you doing? Are you studying the scriptures? More than studying, are you letting them soak in? Then is your life an outflow of the scriptures? The Christian life gives liberty because we are set free from our bondage to sin. We no longer owe our debt to sin, but more than that, we are not slaves to sin. We live lives following Jesus out of our freedom in Christ, being led by the Holy Spirit within us. But first and foremost, are you living the Christian life with Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you surrendered to him? The Christian life is a life of freedom in Jesus, surrendered to him. The Bible uses four verbs to describe our commitment to Christ. Confess, believe, trust, commit. We confess we are sinners in need of a Savior. We believe in Jesus as the only Savior. We trust in him and commit to him. Where are you at? Are you trusting in him and committing to him as Lord and Savior? Maybe you've strayed and you need to come back to him. Maybe you've never committed to him. Maybe you've been a believer in Jesus, but you have not made him Lord of your life. If you have not made him Lord of your life, today is a day of salvation. Let's close in prayer. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you need to turn your life back to Jesus or turn your life over to him for the first time, I would like you to say this prayer with me. You're not saved by the prayer. You're saved by what's in your heart. But the prayer is telling Jesus what you're doing. Pray 
this prayer. Lord Jesus, I confess that I've sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Trusting my life with you as Lord and Savior, I'm committing my life to you. Lord God, help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer, please share it with somebody today. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. If you have questions about God or the spiritual life, reach out to me. I would love to talk to you by phone. I would love to talk to you in person in time. I would love to answer any questions that you might have. Even if you're a non-believer. Even if you have another religious faith, but you have questions about Christianity. Don't be shy. Talk to me. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to support you. Um, I'm going to invite Steve Varga to come up and lead the closing hymn. And then also close the service in prayer.